Well, today is the fifth and final Sunday in our series, Friends Need Be Make. Uh, I have talked through this series about our need for God to be our foundational friendship. Uh, I have talked about how we are designed for community, how, how God wants to be our foundational friendship, but God himself recognized that we needed other people like ourselves to go through life with. And, and he recognized we needed human friendships. We talked about how to be a good friend kind of person, how to become the kind of person that other people want to be friends with. And last week, we shared about the importance of being involved in small groups. And today, I want to share about the importance of reaching out to other people, the importance of being intentional about making friends. I, I've made some observations about how most human beings go about making friends. Now, these are just my observations, but I, I think they're actually pretty accurate. The first observation I've made about how we make friends is that we typically are not very intentional about it. We, we kind of make friends unintentionally. It's sort of a happenstance kind of an occurrence. You know, think through this. I mean, many of your friendships, you'll see that this is true. You know, you lived next door to someone when you were kids. You had a lot of free time on your hands. You both ended up outside just, you know, because that's what you did. And, and you saw the other person out there. And so a friendship uh, started. A coworker brings someone to lunch that you've never met before. You might actually be a little miffed at, about it in the beginning because you thought you were just having lunch with that person and now they're bringing someone else in on your lunch. And, and so they kind of force this person on you. And yet, uh, you, you meet here, you start to talk, you kind of hit it off with them and then a friendship begins to develop. It just sort of happened. You weren't, you weren't looking for it. Your wife insists that you meet her friend's husband. You object because he looks weird. <laughs> but, but she wins. You meet him. You find out, ah, he's actually kind of a nice guy. And a friendship starts. She was intentional about it, but you weren't. And, and yet a friendship begins to develop or vice versa. A, hus a husband insists that uh, his wife meets uh, his friend's wife. And she objects, but she does. And then a friendship uh, develops. When I look back over some of the closer friendships I've had in my life, I, I really can't even remember how the friendships came about in many of those cases. They just seem to happen. And I understand that somewhere along the line of a friendship developing, there has to be some intentionality about it for the friendship to grow. But at the beginning of a friendship, for many of us, it's something that just kind of happens. We weren't intentional about it. We weren't looking for it. It just happened. And there's something else to note about this. It usually just happened because something, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, something just clicked between us and the person that we met. We met unintentionally. Later, there was some intentionality required for it to grow, but we took those initial steps of being intentional because it clicked between us. There, there was just a dynamic that happened, but it all began by happenstance, very unintentionally. My second observation about how most people typically make friends is that they make friends within very narrow demographic parameters. 
very narrow demographic parameters. Most of our friends are very much like us. And I think this is obvious for, for most of us when we look around. Our friends are usually very close to our same age. They are usually in our same stage of life. Our friends are usually quite similar to us economically and educationally. We usually have some similar interests. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. It's actually pretty understandable. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, friendships are easier when we have a lot in common with our friends. Uh, I went through a period of time uh, where a pretty good friend of mine made a lot of money, and I didn't make so much money, and he was always wanting to do things that would cost a lot of money. And he could never seem to comprehend why I was always saying, well, yeah, what else could we do? <laughs> like, it just never registered with the guy that I was trying to, you know, save face, but I was trying to say, could we please spend less money? And our friendship endured for years, and we're still friendly to this day, but it definitely would have been easier if we would have had a more similar number of dimes to rub together. <laughs> it would have been much easier. So throughout my life, I've had friends that I had a lot in common with. I've had friends that I didn't have as much in common with. And it's definitely easier when you have a lot in common. Often our friends share our political views. And admittedly, it's much easier when they do. There's much less arguing and yelling when they share our political views. All you have to do anymore is say political views and everybody gets tense. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having friends like us, friends that we have a lot in common with. It's an understandable thing and it makes friendship a bit easier. In addition to these types of differences that I've already mentioned, there are other types, such as differences of race and ethnicity. And most people's friendships, if we're all real honest about it, are within very narrow racial and ethnic parameters. And even that is somewhat understandable. I mean, when we come from different racial and ethnic backgrounds, we often see the world very differently from each other, which can lead to conflict in the relationship, potentially more conflict than if we just stay with people who are demographically just like us. So those are my observations. We make friends quite unintentionally, and we make friends within very narrow demographic parameters. And, and while both of these things are understandable, there are reasons why they are not preferable. And here's one of the reasons they're not preferable, because this approach often leaves us under-friended. It leaves us lacking for friends. If we leave making friends to chance meetings, we just wander through life without intentionality when it comes to making friends, there's a pretty good chance that we're going to reach a point sometime in life where we are lacking for friends. And when we either consciously or subconsciously limit our friendship options only to people who are in our own very narrow demographic uh, parameters, there's a pretty good chance that at some point in life, we are going to end up lacking for friends. 
But there's a more important reason why these ways of making friends uh, aren't preferable. This more important reason is that God wants us to take a different approach to making friends. God doesn't want us being unintentional about making friends. And God does not want us limiting ourselves only to friends who share our own narrow demographics. You see, Christ changes the who and the how of our friendships. Christ changes who we become friends with, and Christ changes how we make friends. And while we see this in a variety of places throughout Scripture, we see it quite clearly in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, which is our text for today, and which I'll read now. It should be on the screen behind me, uh, or if you would like to, you can follow along in your Bibles or on your phones. (laughs) And then put them away as soon as we're done reading. All right. You are all sons, and we could add daughters of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, an important point to get started with. These four verses are written to Christians. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is addressing believers. And this is an important point because what he's going to let us know as we go through the rest of these verses is that the basis of friendship with people who are not like us is Christ. That's the basis of friendship with people who are not like us Christ. And I know what you're probably thinking right now. You're probably thinking, well, well, Brian, you know, people who don't know Christ are all very committed to expanding their friendships beyond their own very narrow demographics. I mean, you don't need Christ to do that. I would actually suggest that you do. You see, it is my view, I think the Bible bears this out, that the best that people can do apart from Christ is to offer a cheap imitation of what can only truly be done with Christ. Let me demonstrate. And this will make you uncomfortable probably. But relax. You don't need to be uncomfortable. Within the United States right now, there is a lot being said about racial and ethnic diversity. And much of it is centered on the debate surrounding immigration, which I promise not to share my own views on, so you all may relax. Are you people okay today? You seem really, really uptight. Is it just me, or are you uptight? It's me? Okay. All right. Well, well then give me some feedback, so I know that you're actually okay. 
Some of the loudest voices in favor of racial and ethnic diversity are from people who do not claim to have a relationship with Christ. They're breaking down racial and ethnic barriers. They're speaking loudly about widening the demographic parameters of those that they want to embrace. But if you watch closely, in many cases, what they're actually doing is trading one set of narrow demographic parameters for another. Let me give you a case in point. See, this is much better when there's a little... It's just much better that way. Okay. So... so. Let me, let me give you a case in point. A Caucasian person speaks very loudly about despising all limits on immigration. And they take the position that no person is illegal, and they do so because of their professed love and care for people of Hispanic ethnicity. But then they meet a person who is of Hispanic ethnicity, who happens to want the immigration laws of the United States enforced, and then they despise that person, won't associate with that person, treat that person with contempt. And so here's what they did. They traded one narrow demographic parameter, ethnicity, for another narrow demographic parameter, people who think like them. And here's the point of sharing this. That is about the best that you can do apart from Christ. It is. You need Christ to be able to truly break out of the pattern of limiting friendships to people who fit a narrow demographic. It is only through Christ that we can embrace those who are different than us racially and ethnically, but also embrace those who think differently than us. And embrace those who are economically different than us. Embrace those who are of a different age group than us. Embrace those who think politically very differently than we think. It's only through Christ that you can do this. Otherwise, you just trade narrow demographic parameters for your friendships. And that's why it's important as we go forward to understand Galatians 3, 26 through 29 is written to Christians, to those who have faith in Christ because it is Christ who changes the who and the how of our friendships. And it's the power of Christ that enables us to walk out the who and the how changes in our friendships. Christ does this. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Again, written to Christians. And what Paul is about to tell us in verse 28 is informed by the reality that all Christians have a common identity. We've all been baptized into Christ. We're all people who recognized our sinfulness. We recognized our need of a Savior. We recognize that at the most fundamental level, we are all the same. We're all equal in our need of Jesus. We're all equal in having recognized that. We've all received Christ. We've been baptized into Christ which means that we are a part 
of the very same family. Verse 29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are in the same family. We are joint heirs of the blessings of God's kingdom because we are all part of God's one family. We share a common identity. We're part of the same family. And it's informed by this reality that verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you don't understand what Paul is saying here, let me, let, let me help us understand this today. He is referencing Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, men and women. He's referencing these groups because these groups represent the greatest divisions that have ever existed between people throughout human history. These are the groups most divided from each other throughout human history. And Paul is communicating that the greatest divisions between people throughout history are completely done away with in Christ. People who have been divided from each other are made one with each other in Christ. And here's how it happens. Their identity in Christ supersedes every other aspect of their identity. They don't stop being men and women, Jews and Greeks. At the time of this writing, they didn't even necessarily stop being slave or free. But those identities, the most polarizing in human history, were superseded by their new identity, Christian. Christian. Which allowed them to embrace those they had historically been separated from, and not just separated from, but hostile toward. That's how they did it. In Christ. Christ expands the demographics of our friendships. And he does it by giving us a new shared identity that ends the divisions between us and makes us one people. No more divisions. We are one in Christ. Christ changes who we are friends with. And something that's clear in Galatians 3 and throughout the New Testament is this new identity of being one in Christ requires intentionality to walk it out. In other words, we become one through faith in Christ, but then we have to actually make a choice to live this new reality. Christ makes us one, then we have to walk it out. And you see this throughout the New Testament as Jews and Gentiles who all came to faith in Christ had to intentionally work on their relationships with each other. Had to intentionally figure out how to be a part of the same body of Christ and keep their divisions and their differences from, from separating them. They, they had to intentionally work out making their positional unity their experience. They had to work that out. 
It's not that dissimilar to how when we come to faith in Christ, we're cleansed of our sin and we're declared righteous by God. But then the rest of our life is a process of trying to yield ourselves to God and actually live righteously. So Christ makes us one out of many diverse peoples, many people who have been divided from each other. He makes us one, and then we have to go about actually living like the one people he has made us. It it requires us to be intentional. Jesus was intentional. You see this in his disciples. You, You see this among the people that he invited to be within his closest circle of friends. Within the 12 disciples, there were were people who hated the Roman government. And there was one guy who worked for the Roman government. Both were in Jesus' circle of friends. He had friends who were very bold and outgoing. He had some who were quieter, maybe even a bit timid. And of course, the list of differences could go on and on. But Jesus was intentional. There's a lot more that could be said about this, but Galatians 3, 26 through 29 very clearly shows us that Jesus changes the who and the how of our friendships. He expands the demographics of our friendship. He causes us to be friends with people very different than us because we are united in our identity in him, which supersedes everything that divides us. And living this out requires us to be intentional, to work to work at being friends with people that Christ has made us one with. And so today, what I want to do from this scriptural foundation is I want to call us to action. I want to call us to action individually, and I want to call us to action collectively as a church body. I am asking everyone here to commit to allowing Christ to change who you are friends with, to to change, to expand the demographics of who you're willing to be friends with. I'm asking you to be intentional about this. And so here's the first call to action. Reach out beyond your current circle of friends. Now, please understand, we want you to have close friendships here in the church. We want that. If you have super close friends within the church, that is a wonderful thing. But it becomes less wonderful if us and our close friends ever develop an attitude that says, us four and no more. What was wonderful is now awful. Us four and no more is a bad thing. So keep those close friendships. But within your close friendships, make a shared commitment to expand your circle of friends. Invite others to join with you when you get together with your close friends. If you have one or two couples or one or two individuals that you regularly connect with, make a commitment like this. Every other time we do something, we will invite someone else to to come and join us. Someone that's not a part of our tight little friend circle will invite someone else 
to come and be with us. Commit that every once in a while on a night when you and your close friends would have gotten together, none of you get together, and instead you each commit to invite one other couple or one other person to get together with you individually. And now you become a team on a mission to expand your circle of friends. Be intentional about expanding your circle of friends. And we have to do this collectively as well. I I haven't said much about this lately, but folks, we can never get to the place where we say as a church, well, I'm satisfied with the folks who are here now. This is good enough for me. If I'm being real honest, I really don't want a bunch of new people coming in here and changing the feel of the place. We, We can't do that. That is... That's not right. That's fundamentally in opposition to the heart of God. It's fundamentally at odds with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must always be intentional about reaching out and embracing those who are not here yet. And so I am pleading with you. If your attitude is that you like the church just like it is, and I'm happy you do, But if that's your attitude and you you, you go on from there and say, and so I really don't want it changing, I really don't want it getting any larger, then please ask God to change your heart because it needs changed. We are the people who are tasked by God to tell more people about Jesus and invite them into his family. That is fundamental. Fundamental to our role. Fundamental to what Christ has us doing in the world. Here's the second call to action. Expand the demographics of your friendships. Do this within your individual friendships within the church. Maybe there's someone within the church that you have found yourself kind of liking them at a distance. But but you've been hesitant to try to initiate more of a friendship because... Previous conversations revealed to you that you likely think very differently about politics. Maybe they're pro-union and you're not a very big fan of unions. Maybe they slipped up and said something nice about Donald Trump and you think he's awful. Maybe they think that the U.S. should move preemptively to prevent North Korea from advancing their nuclear capabilities, and you think that would be a horrible idea. And so to avoid any uncomfortable conversation, you've said, I'm just not going to be friends with them. Expand the demographics of your friendships. Your identity in Christ supersedes your political views. You're one in Christ, so be intentional about becoming friends, not allowing these differences to keep you at a distance from each other. Maybe there's someone in the church who there's just something you can't quite explain, but you've just sort of determined that they're not your kind of person. Sure they are. They belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. They're your kind of person. They are your kind of person. If you have someone in the church where you have either 
you know, subconsciously or maybe you've actually verbally said it, they're just not my kind of person. You should intentionally set out to become friends with that person. You should. Maybe some of you have avoided friendships with others because of perceived socioeconomic factors. I hope that hasn't happened, but maybe it has, but don't let it continue. Expand the demographics of your friendships. And here's a big one. Age demographics. This is a huge cause of division within churches. People limit their friendships to those in their same age range. And the American church hasn't helped this at all with its emphasis on age-specific ministry. Amen. Thank you, Adele. And, uh, <laughs> and felt needs ministry. I could say a lot about this today. I'm not going to, except for, although I am doing pretty good on time, so maybe I should. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at this for today. You need to have friendships across various age demographics. All of your friendships should not be in the same age range that you're in. This is why our connect groups are multi-generational, even though right now they're not that multi-generational. Because I've observed that young people don't come to them. And you need to. I went to small groups when I had two young kids. You can too. One of the reasons our connect groups are multi-generational is because age divisions are a worldly thing, not a Christian thing. And yet the church has convinced us that we must be ministered to at every narrow <laughs> age stage that we go through. Right. Young adults in college, young adults not in college, 20-somethings with kids, 20-somethings without kids, 30-somethings then have their own unique struggle that need to be attended to, and you've got 30-somethings who are married and 30-somethings who are single. And then the 40-year-olds, you know, they start feeling bad about the stage of life they're in, and they're starting to have a midlife crisis, so they need special ministry. <laughs> and then the 50-year-olds, they're dealing with how quickly life is passing, and like it's almost all over for them. And so then they're depressed, and they need a special ministry for that. And then the 60-year-olds, if the 50-year-olds if the have a problem with, you know, like mortality, then the 60-year-olds are really getting upset, and they, they have to have some special ministry. And we won't even talk about the 70-year-olds because, well, I'm just, should have left it alone. <laughs> thanks, Adele, thanks. Christ changes the who of our friendships. And I'm not here to announce the end of all age-specific ministry. I, I think it's really good through high school that we have age-specific ministry. I think it would be great if as a church we could provide more opportunities for uh, young adults, college-age kids. I, I, I think that we ought to do that. But at some point when you're like solidly an adult, you should probably stop needing like everything catered to your exact 
stage of life. Just my two cents. You see, Christ changes the who of our friendships. Younger folks ought to intentionally cultivate friendships with older folks. And old... (laughs) Because they're wise. Actually, the Bible affirms that. You know, it talks about the older women should teach the younger women. Older folks should intentionally cultivate friendships with younger folks. Helps you not be so stuck in your ways. And so while some age-specific and stage of life ministries are valuable and worthwhile, and we'll continue to have those, Christians within a local church should not be divided up by age and stick only to their own age group or stage of life group throughout their entire lives. Shouldn't be that way. Expand the demographics of your friendships. As a church, we need to work intentionally to expand our demographics. We want to be an age-diverse church. We have been throughout our history. But it appears as though the church is starting to age with me. And the other people who were leaders when we started the church. We've got to figure out a way to undo that. And so in the coming months, years, we need to be intentional about reaching out to people who are younger. And that might involve some changes. Church might look a little different at times. We also want to be a racially and ethnically diverse church. I realize we are in Pataskala, Ohio, which is not the most racially or ethnically diverse place. So admittedly, we have some limitations to fulfilling this goal. But wouldn't it be great? I think think the uh, non-Caucasian population of Pataskala is about 5%. Wouldn't it be great if Vineyard Pataskala was a church where 10, 15, 20% of our congregation was not majority, but was minority? Wouldn't Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be wonderful. Why should we care about that, Brian? Because Christ changes the who of our friendships. And when he does, then the how has to change. We can't just keep going through life unintentional about our friendships, continuing to group into friendships the same way that the world does. We have to start being intentional about our friendships. And here's a key, here's here's why. We want to be racially and ethnically diverse, age diverse, economically diverse, because we want the church to look like heaven is going to look. Heaven is going to be a diverse place. Every age. Every ethnicity, every nationality, every socioeconomic status. 
We want to look like heaven. So, I probably should wrap this up. I want to acknowledge the last couple points on the outline. I'll try not to go into too much depth, but actually I'm doing very well today on time. So, uh, so here's the third call to action. Watch your expectations. I've said this uh, throughout the series, but I want to say it again today. Watch your expectations. As you reach out beyond your current circle of friends, which I am highly confident you will do, as you expand the demographics of your friendship, which I am very confident you are going to set out to do, don't put pressure on yourself that every initiative you take has to result in a close friendship. Be friendly, invest in people, and if you land on a friendly relationship with someone, if you progress to a good friendship with someone, or you progress to a really close friendship with someone, be thankful for whatever level of friendship develops from that initiative. Don't try to force something that's not there, but be intentional and then be thankful for whatever level of friendship comes from that. And here's the fourth call to action. Replace online social interaction with in-person social interaction. (laughs) Hey, look, I'm going to tell a bad story on myself here in a minute, but look, we are all spending way too much time online. Maybe not all of us, but most of us are spending way too much time online and it impacts us in ways that we have become blind to. And I'm going to tell a very embarrassing story on myself right now. The other night I went to the men's uh, basketball fellowship. I think there were three, four of us from our church, so, uh, so we had to invite other churches to participate with us. So, like, we like fellowshipping with the other churches, but come on, guys, we want to fellowship with you. So, basketball Thursday nights, come and join us. It'd be a good time. But I went to the men's basketball fellowship, and when I got home afterward, I realized that whether anyone else had noticed or not, I had embarrassed myself at basketball, and it wasn't because I couldn't hardly run up and down the court. That might have been the second way I embarrassed myself, but that's not the one that bothered me. We had 12 guys playing, so we had to take turns sitting out. And on one of my turns sitting out, there was another guy sitting maybe 10 feet away from me. And instead of engaging with him or even just watching the other guys play and hollering out, you know, good shot or whatever, uh, I retreated into the online world and started replying to a debate that I saw on Facebook. (laughs) I don't need that, Adele. I've already whipped myself enough for this. (laughs) Adele's over there tisk-tisking what I've done. (laughs) Another couple of guys walked into the gym. They uh, came over to where I was, and one of them engaged me in conversation. Now, I am happy to say I put my phone down and talked to him. (laughs) But as soon as he turned away from me for the briefest of moments and spoke to the other person in a way that did not require my direct interaction, I immediately retreated back into the online world. While it was not my intention, it was if I was saying, 
if you are not going to directly engage me, don't expect me to remain available to you even though you're three feet away from me. I was embarrassed of myself after the fact. And I didn't share this just so you all can look condemningly at me. (laughs) I shared this because I think this is a huge problem we all have. Trading in-person interaction for online interaction. You see, in the past before these wonderful blessings that are also a horrible curse came into our lives, I would have had no choice but to just sit there and watch and holler out, good shot, nice pass, you stink. (laughs) Whatever it would have been. But I, I would have likely in the past found some way to engage with the guys on the court even though I wasn't on the court. And I would have definitely engaged with the guy 10 feet down from me and I would have stayed available to the guy three feet away from me who happened to just talk to someone else very briefly. But that night, I just stared at my phone. Not good not good. We have got to prioritize in-person interaction over online interaction. So I appeal to everyone here today, for your good, for the good of others, reach out beyond your own circle of friends, expand the demographics of your friendships, watch your expectations, and please replace online interaction with in-person interaction. Reaching out to others, being intentional, requires effort. Requires a lot of effort sometimes. Some of you have already seen this with the Dinner for Six. I emailed my Dinner for Six group, and one of the couples, who I don't think are here today, I would say this anyway, One of the couples came back and said, hey, we have a really busy month, so I hope that you can meet with us on the 18th or 19th. And I came back and said, can't do either one of those. Okay, well, what about the last Friday of February? Could that work? Nope, 18th or 19th is all we got. Well, I can't do 18th or 19th. My point is, it's a lot of work. And so we settled and got the other uh, couple that's in our group involved in the discussion, and we settled that our February dinner for six will actually be in March, March 2nd, (laughs) March 2nd. We almost squeezed it in. If it was a 30-day month, it would have worked. So March 2nd. The point is, it can be a lot of work, but it is worth it. It's worth it for you, and it's worth it for those you reach out to. Amen. Let's stand.